0: Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Laura, and this is the Pair Entrepreneur Club podcast, a fortnightly show to help you navigate the demands of being both a parent and a business owner. We will share lots of practical ideas, hints and tips, and our own and others' experiences of juggling work, family, health and finances. Above all, we want to help you find your purpose, define your identity and banish any confidence gremlins that might be holding you back from the life you dream of. No matter whether you have children or not, there will be something here for you. Let's get started. So thank you very much for joining me today, Dawn. Um, I know you've got a fascinating story and uh, yeah, just really pleased to have you on the podcast. Um, So if you could just start by introducing yourself a little bit and telling our listeners about
1: your story. Okay. Thank you ever so much, Laura. Um, I really feel very honoured to be asked uh, to do this. It's my first podcast, and uh, and I guess like many people, yeah, you know, I'm I thinking, what on earth will people want to know about it, really? Because I guess we we never think we're particularly interesting to others. But so thank you very much for that wonderful vote of confidence, and uh, really looking forward to it. But so um, so dawn dawn. Um, I'm from a um, starting right from the beginning so who am I um, rather than what do I do lovely thing I learned from my um, and I'm going to stick with it by the way just going off on an aside which I'll probably do quite a lot on this absolutely Um, (laughs) the um, from my um, future daughter-in-law who really didn't like to be asked I was warned by my son when you meet her don't ask her, what do you do? And the reason she said that is because she feels that it leads people down a route to um, judge her by her job. And she's got a very interesting job, but she wanted people to ask her really um, more about herself. And her question, her preferred question when I asked her was the, for her to, to ask, um, So, uh, what is it that you love about life? I'm really trying to get to understand about her as a person. So now when I go to introduce myself by my role and what I do, I get really nervous about that because I've got Gabby in, in my head all of the time. So anyway, so who am I? Um, well, I'm from a working class family. Um, and that family was a single parent family from the age of 11, um, lived with my mom and my uh, sister and saw my dad, but not so um, regularly, but so mainly a female family upbringing, really, with all of what goes with that, um, which can be interesting and challenging at times, with three females in the in the uh, house. Um, anyway, I uh, went off after A-levels to college for a short time, dropped out of college because um, I needed basically to earn some money for the family finances. So... Didn't continue with my college um, uh, journey, um, but was very fortunate to live in um, the outskirts, on the outskirts of London. So just literally took myself in, got myself listed on job agencies, um, and was very fortunate to be able to be offered a few um, interviews there. And one that I particularly loved and they found for me, was working in the Topshop group on Oxford Street, and I wow. couldn't wait to get into that one, because I loved fashion, thought it was the, the, definitely the path for me, um, and how wrong was I? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I took a job, and the interesting thing was that there's a couple of jobs, my first early days were a two six-month stints, really, and where I was sort of just testing the water and finding out what it meant to to do and uh, to be employed but i loved working in the the, the idea of working in the um, retail world and the fashion world and i joined it as a merchandiser which was basically just making sure that you distributed stock to the, the, the stores um, loved it from that point of view that i was part of the fashion world now um, but what i really didn't like was the toxic um, culture that existed there and in in those days and we're talking um 30 years ago so um 30 plus years ago so um it's it's not it was extremely difficult uh, very cutthroat um very uncomfortable and you definitely had to claw your way up to be anything in that so that wasn't a fit for me i immediately knew that so i then um at my mum's suggestion because she didn't know what else to suggest. Get a bank, get a job in a bank, because then you can get a mortgage subsidy and you can buy your own home. So I did um, and spent six months there. And again, I found that I'd maybe I just joined the wrong departments, but it was certainly telling me things. I was in the back office of the dealing room and uh, I would have to go in. So now, if you imagine, you know, you've got a, a, a young girl aged 19, 20, Coming into to the dealing office, which was predominantly male um, and very aggressive male in that mm. dealing room, and they're subject to all the stuff we hear about um, in the past of the the sort of pack calls, the sexist remarks, that the the really awful um, mm. uh, male dominated um, environment that was was just like being thrown into a lion's den. So that wasn't going to work either. So I started to get a bit of a vibe of <laughs> where I could and couldn't work. Um, so then joined an insurance company, which was much more civilized um, and thoroughly enjoyed my time with them. And they were great. They really developed me um, and saw that I had potential. I became a manager of the marketing services department at uh, 21. Um thrilled that I had a manager who fought hard to get me it because the old system said she's too young to be in that role. Um, but he fought hard and I was really grateful to him for that break in that career because it really set me aside, gave me my first um, management experience, which was brilliant. Um, so I worked with them for for many years, actually, for probably about five or six years, learned a huge amount about... Uh, marketing and um, personal finance too because it was an insurance company. Tried my hand at sales because the, uh, it was suggested I would be brilliant because I was a real people person. Um, but I wasn't comfortable really in that environment. But what it did do then is lead me to joining a consultancy um, and I joined the um, um, the uh, people um, of William Mercer, consultancy firm in London and that's really where it all started in terms of what I then ended up spending most of my career doing because I was working with people um, in organisations and people with change um, in terms of how do we manage change, how do we get people to embrace and engage with the change that's happening. So that that was really the launch in that sense but I think the other jobs were really important because they were teaching me what I did and didn't want as a, as a person. And I learned lots. I toughened up a lot um, after the first two um, six month stints. Um, so, uh, but I did learn an awful lot, and the insurance company put me on um, development programs. So, I, I was very fortunate to have that. So, I worked in the consultancy firm for a while, and we worked on um, employee and benefit packages, programmes, communication programmes. We delivered the first, some of the first flexible benefits programmes because it came over from the States. And um, I was so thrilled to be involved in that because it was leading edge. And I think that's something that I realised about myself. I like to be involved in things that are leading the way. It is really important to me to feel like I'm working on things that are new and that they've not been done before or not been done in this way before. So that's really where I get my buzz. And so it was a natural sort of progression then um, that I got um, headhunted into one of my clients actually, um, who asked me to come and join their HR change team. Um, And knowing that I didn't have an HR background because that, that wasn't what he was looking for. He was looking for someone who would help with the engagement piece Um, and work in a different way. So I joined them um, and with GEC being a huge organization, 146,000 people. So it gave me a lot of scope to see the differences in packages and things and how different um, countries operated. So a lot of corporate experience, a lot of um, responsibility as well. So I learned, and I think this is really important for consultants: um, is that you learn um, you you've carried out a role where you've had the responsibility and authority to make something happen. Um, because I've always found that my clients, when I've worked with them, have really liked that bit about it—that I've I've got the t-shirt, if you like, and I've got the the scars that they're going through. know, <laughs> I can feel their pain on some of the stuff as well as being a consultant and advising them on how to do things. So, so I learned a lot there um, that really stood me in great stead. And then, but it was a, a job that was just too demanding. I'd become a director at GEC for um, uh, in employment um, benefits and um, employee programs and the challenge was just too great balancing that with my son um who by now was about 6 and i wanted more time with him and i know um harrison's that age so you yeah, yeah. understand how that goes and i wanted more time i wanted to be able to balance the two um so i was in a perfect position then to go freelance i had a great network um because i'd met so many people so i just took the leap i had the three months salary in the bank which i thought was enough and if i didn't have um get some work within that three months i was prepared to go and do anything to go and earn some money to pay the mortgage i'd moved to lincoln in that stage as well so there'd been quite a bit of upheaval really um but it was it was an exciting time and i got the name of my um, business which i i realized what i wanted to specialize in was transforming organizations through um, people, through uh, the, the business leadership style. Um, so I um, did some research, did some thinking. I'd been quite poorly because I'd got quite low, because I was trying to balance the, you know, being a director with living 150 miles away and having a son and being a single parent at that point. So there was a lot of juggling, um, and so I had a lot of time to think. And then I, I read, I was given a book um, by an au pair, actually, um, at the time. And she was a little life saver in more than one way, um, because she gave me this book called The Alchemist um, by Paolo Coelho. And it was all about following your dreams, et cetera. And it was a and a very um insightful book at that time. It had a big impact. And from that, I got the name of my business, which was not the alchemist, but human alchemy. So I've said to you
0: before, Dawn, I absolutely love that name for a business as well. And you know, we've talked a lot about how you you really relate to people. And, and it's just it's really unique. It's really, yeah,
1: I, I love it yeah i loved it and i just thought that's it that's me that's what i want to do um, so uh, and then then i was fortunate that having left um, GEC, they gave me um, i left on great terms um, and they gave me a project so i worked on that project which was uh it was effectively an internal um uh, linkedin facebook it was a connecting tool for their um employees so worked on the engagement side how do you get your people to engage with that piece of kit um and so enjoyed that and it gave me some breathing space really to get my business off the ground and then from then on it was word of mouth pretty much um because i would work with people they would either move and then go to another place and then come to me and say could you help me now with this i use my network Um, One lady said, "Or you should work with Sky uh, because they're doing a transformation program. So I said, uh, "Okay, I'll get them a call and asked a bit about the guy. So I sent him a cheeky note saying, I hear you're a young, dynamic, HR uh, professional. And if that's the case, we really should meet with one another. So and it worked. So that was my first bit of marketing that I was quite proud of. and I worked for them um, alongside a big consulting firm for nearly a year on their IT transformation programme, which again was great. So all along, these pieces of the jigsaw kept adding um to me as a as an entrepreneur, really. Mm-hmm. I hadn't set out originally with the view of I want to be an entrepreneur. I found myself there because yeah. I wanted to do a fascinating job that. I loved and felt passionate about and challenged and stretched me but I also wanted to have a life with my son and not miss that so um that's what took me into being an entrepreneur I wasn't a born entrepreneur Um, so I, I, I can
0: completely relate and um you know Michelle and I have had a lot of conversations around this as well to say that was the main driver for us because yeah. we've got small children and we wanted to have that flexibility so yeah i completely um and i think a lot of the listeners out there this is why we set up the pair entrepreneurs club because you find yourself in corporate roles or really you know demanding jobs that you just can't then depend like you know my, my son's um assembly or you know things that you just
1: miss out on so yeah yeah and i think it's it's um and i love what you're doing you and michelle i think it's brilliant to have that i wish i'd had that at the time um a network that i could have turned to because you feel very lonely um and that is a downside uh, one of the downsides of being self-employed or freelance whatever we want to call it is that you you have to reach out beyond um beyond yourself to get that inspiration that comfort that and, and even things like how you're performing because when you're in a, an organization you have performance appraisals Um yes. well who does those for you <laughs> yes. and and the trouble is it's trying to get clients to do those honestly isn't it because mm-hmm. quite often they won't give you some of that really hard feedback that you you're looking for but um so yeah it's, it's tricky. I think that's it and I think you know we, we've spoken a bit about
0: NLP as well because I know you've got a background in Ooh. NLP coaching and and really you know for me coaching has been the transformation to you know Michelle and I coach each other a lot of the time. Um, yes lovely. Because we are well I particularly am self-critical so as much as you think um, you know you, you want genuine feedback from the people if you're not getting that you tend to do it yourself and then you yeah. compare to external verification. <laughs> yes.
1: it's like, oh, and you never, you never cut it, cut it do you? Yes, no, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, what, what would be your tips around that? I mean, have you used NLP
1: to help you with that? And, you know, the I have. Technology? I think NLP, I've learned a lot about um, human behaviour, as you would imagine, through my, um, through my career. Um, because it's what I was working in. And so I've always had a fascination with, what is it that makes us who we are? Um, and the thing I really, really loved about um, NLP when I come to do it is it seem, it felt for me personally, because I'd done a lot of this, that it, it created the, um, it brought it all together. Mm-hmm. And the one particular model which I know you've in in one of your um, podcasts you've covered is that I I found it particularly um, valuable was the communications model, mm-hmm. which really opened up for me and explained a lot of the pieces that I'd um, uh, I'd learned um, about human behaviour and how they all fitted together very neatly and it explained it so beautifully and. It confirmed our uniqueness, which is something that is incredibly important to me. Um, And the celebration of uniqueness wherever Mm -hmm. possible um, for me is, is, is hugely important. And it's the piece that you get more chance to do when you're an entrepreneur because it's about you and what you want to do, which is fabulous. I just wish we could bring some of that uniqueness and how we operate as entrepreneurs into a corporate environment um but, yes uh,
0: absolutely and I think you know I mean we were, we were speaking quite openly before this conversation as well about you know saying that I'd had some recent opportunities to work with uh, a client which became more of a contract and mm. then you you lose that flexibility that you once had you do so, you do it, yeah it is a balance. I think it's
1: it is a balance and I think it's a huge watch out for for organizations now um, is that if they're not taking notice of the number of people that I see that are now setting up their own business, not because they want to necessarily go out and be an entrepreneur, but like you and I are describing, is because it's the only way of being able to get a fulfilling career. It's the way, the only way they perceive they're going to be able to have a fulfilling career and get the balance with with work uh, with home and family and other things Uh, not just family it might be with other passions that they've got in life um big watch out and uh i I think they need to wake up personally
0: but yeah and that that kind of leads me on to the next question but i Mm. wanted to touch on some of the things that you said before as well so um i know you said about um 30 years ago there's a bit of a toxic culture particularly around uh, women in the workplace and we try and focus on you know equality for men as well and you know looking at what that looks like as as parents on both sides but I'm interested to know do you do you still see that in workplaces now or do you think that's changed significantly
1: um well because I'm a freelance and I'm working in in um, I'm working typically with leaders um, yeah. in uh, fairly unique environments. Um, so we tend to be in, in uh, workshop environments, etc. So it's not the real everyday life in yeah. businesses. So I, I don't feel qualified to be talking about what I'm seeing in many businesses. Um, what I can say though, is that I'm heartened by the fact that it is now seen not to be the norm or by, I would hope, most people. So that even if it is, exists, it's recognized now not to be the norm. So I, it feels like there's more of a, you've got more of a past to go and call it out than you ever had before. And yeah. that to me is great, um, great news. Um, yeah. But Can I speak personally about it? No, because I'm not working in businesses and I'm working with leaders. I still see those traits in in certain leaders, um, in the leadership teams that we've got. Uh, We talk about it in the programmes that we've run within Human Alchemy. um, And we use the the analogy of digital and um, analogue management and analogue being a reference to operating in a very old-fashioned, male-dominated environment to the digital world, you know, that just does not fit now. Mm. Um, So there is definitely a recognition it doesn't fit. And I was really um, heartened when we were at a workshop recently where there was a guy that was, and we are working with a team, where a guy absolutely recognised that is him, the analogue, and um, bravely at the end said, I recognise that is me and I need to do something about it or I'm in the wrong position. <laughs> so, so, yes, I think the narrative around it has grown and, and has been accepted. I take heart from the fact that the younger generation, like yourself and, and younger, it's it, they're horrified. The younger generation, when we talk about some of these things, it's it's as if we're making them up. And I love that because yeah. that means it's not their norm.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I think yeah, you, you've absolutely you know hit the nail on the head there when we're saying about what you know the, what is the concept of normal. You know, can we change that? Yes. Um, you know, because you know I, I speak to numerous people who still think that there's a nine to five workplace. You know, that people need to be full time. You know, I, I even had a conversation with someone fairly recently about how they wouldn't employ part time employees. Um you know, so yeah, and, and it is this no well, we need to work in this way well mm-hmm. why what well, why has that become a norm and you know what how do you think you know that would change if we took away this concept of normal?
1: well, I think we would all thrive I think we'd thrive on an individual basis because our uniqueness would be able to um come to the fore. I think it would, help us as a society, because we're wrestling with this whole concept of equality, diversity and inclusion at the moment. And if we were to just take away what we regard as normal and, and allow for uniqueness, then I think it would be much easier to see the solutions to some of these things, um, the, the neurodiversity, et and, and And that to me is my hope for the future is that that focus of we don't have the norms in the way that we had. I've spent all my career challenging business as usual. It's been the big, it's been the big thrust of human alchemy is, you know, what's extraordinary and what's business as usual. And to me, every time I get come anywhere near business as usual, it's, it's, um, it's like a spark for me. I want to challenge it. I want to put on a new perspective. Um, And I think, we we talk about it and I've always felt uh, that it's a mindset
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: you can walk around life um, with a business as usual mindset and pretty much you'll get business as usual Mm -hmm. or you can just shift it and again the NLP is a a a great way of of thinking about that and what lens do I choose to put on this Mm -hmm. um and I saw it I came across such a a wonderful um example that uh, one of the um, coaches that I've been working with um, brought to me, and I'm thrilled she did. It was a gift from her that I will treasure forever. And she introduced me to um, a a care home. Um, Well, not personally to the care home, thankfully. I'm not there yet, but... uh, (laughs) But if I did go to one, I'd want to go to one like this. Um, So it's in um, the Netherlands. And um, the CEO there has; uh, she's had all of the difficult, difficulties that all care homes have over in this country, but she's a wonderful example of how if you change your lens for your product, your service, your you know your offering, um, you can have you can transform the the environment that you create. So she she said what she was really anti was the this idea that we have a lens for care homes of we've got to keep elderly people safe. Mm -hmm. And then you have a safeguarding lens. (laughs) And when you've got a safeguarding lens, everything is sanitized. And I think we would probably all agree that historically, certainly um, that's been how it has been. You just see people sat there very safely, but it's devoid of life. And so she came up with this whole idea of she wanted a lens called injecting life. And I loved that. And um, and then and this could apply to anything that we do, you know, any on an individual basis or as entrepreneurs for our business. So we often think we've got to come up with a brand new product. And actually, it's sometimes it's a new lens for an old product or an old service. So uh, and she. She said, "I'm. I want injecting life." And interestingly, and again, this is where if you you really do open up to your employees, as as you know well, Laura, and trying to get engagement, um, one of the students that was working pot washing in the um, kitchen just to earn some money while he was studying came up with the idea of, "Well, why don't you offer um, students?" who are struggling to get accommodation at the moment, some, uh, a room for free in return for hours of work. And that way you'd get life coming in and living. And um, so oh, she was enthralled by the idea. As you can imagine, the trustees were a little bit concerned about all of these um, drug induced drunk Students that we might have a lens for um, running around the causing a, um, a riot. Um, but anyway, she tested it, it worked uh, with the one, um, and she now has. And this she's been running this for a decade now. Um, there, they now have six students a year uh, who live in, they live freely, um, they have the room, they can have girlfriend, boyfriend staying over, and um, so they live as they would in a student. Um, accommodation Um, and they gift their time with the residents. So it might be sitting with them, might be taking them out, might be playing. Apparently she came in one day and they're all playing beer pong. So, you know, it's that sort of stuff. And she to me was and that example I give um, to people to say, it's just a shift of the lens. Mm -hmm. She shifted the lens from safeguarding to injecting life. And in doing so, she's now opened it up to the community. She's given free space to a local badminton, uh, not badminton, um, table tennis club who come in and the residents can go and sit and watch or they can participate in just the local club. And it's just opened it up completely. So for me, yes, challenge the norm on everything if if you can. Um, Because I believe that's where we thrive.
0: Yeah, I love that. And funnily enough, um, Michelle and I were at the CIPD Festival of Work earlier this year. And and we were talking about HR policies and saying exactly Uh this, you know, saying that that we think we've done the day because there needs to be a framework, you know, around that. But they've become too prescriptive. Yes. Um, you know, and in a lot of organisations, it does stifle growth. It stifles people's creativity. So, yeah, I absolutely love that saying, you know, mm-hmm. take a safeguarding. Yes, it's essential that it needs to be there. But yep. you know, how can we inject life? I mean, yeah, fantastic.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think there's an expression that we use quite a lot and we're working with, with businesses to say, if you look at all of your processes and policies and systems and, and ask the question, what are they in service of? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it opens up, it really challenges to say, the, what is that purpose of that? Because I think we lose sight of it, don't we? I'm sure you're finding there's been policies that have been written for 15 years ago and, and just we've always done it that way. So, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: um, but yes, yeah, so I would absolutely love us all to challenge the norm on a regular basis, not to be rebellious, but... With the the um, view of improving and making some something relevant and current. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that question. That was right up my street.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I mean, we could go in so many different directions. I know. Um,
1: know.
0: But what's such a a couple of things here? One, one is you know, if you're looking back over your life and you you looked at kind of giving your 18
1: year old self some advice, what what would that be? Because there are so many things you could give, isn't it, as a gift. Um, I think for me, uh, the biggest gift I could give my 18-year-old self would be to say that um, you're not responsible for other people's happiness. Mm, Yeah. And that sounds a bit deep and profound and whatever. And what do I mean by that is that, I think it's been a driver for me that I've always checked in on everything that I've wanted to do and how that fits for other people. Mm -hmm. And I can think of many occasions throughout my life when I've actually not pursued things I really wanted to do because I'd believed that it wasn't in the interests of other people. Crazily, I would also probably need to add to that, Um, And if you're going to not do something, check in that it would be um, causing them any um, harm because I never, ever did check in. I just made this assumption that, oh, they won't like it. It won't work for them. Um, And I guess an example of that maybe is, you know, giving up college to earn money for the family. Well, it was a responsible thing to do and and I did it and, and I don't regret doing that um maybe i could have challenged it a bit listened to my tutor at college who was saying you'll have lots of time in the future to repay your family um mm-hmm. because you'll earn more to do it so but i didn't really listen i just felt no this wasn't the right thing so that for me i think is the advice i would give to my 18 year old self
0: yeah that's wonderful i, I definitely um, you know it's something I still work on and I think you know this is the the the, the power of coaching and self-reflection and journaling yeah. and you know you, you, we are continually continually evolving as people yeah. um yeah. so we're never a, a perfect example no a finished example
1: well you aren't no but that makes it nice <laughs> it absolutely does yeah I love being um, imperfect
0: yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I want to touch on, we, we talked earlier about um, how you're going to be a goldfish. And awesome. I just love this because But the listeners listening to this right now. Um, what the heck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so... The the Ted Lasso reference. I mean, I, I love Ted Lasso as a series, oh. taking lots and lots of things from that. But can you just explain, please, about your your goldfish and and the other animals that uh, you're going to? Become? I'm going to
1: I'm going to try on for size. Yeah, exactly. So um, well, I love that. that um, uh, as I totally agree with you, Ted Lasso for me has been just um an absolute treasure. And and I really wish I could just adopt him into my family and, and somehow that I could be him because I could look, be so much better if I could be Ted Lasso on occasion. So um there is a lovely podcast that I came across, which was called um uh, What Would Ted Lasso Do? And um, I'd highly recommend it yeah. if you haven't listened to it i've only got i've only listened to a couple of them so far because it's only recently that i came across it but i love it it's two psychologists i think they are um that specialize in leadership and human and um, behavior and so they're they they in a very fun way the two of them tackle it uh they take each episode and they deconstruct it to take out the learning and what do we learn from from that so and in one of their early ones it was around this point of um, be a goldfish, when Ted tells someone who is really stressing about having got something wrong in the past and fearful of doing it in the future and et cetera, et cetera. I think it's one of the players that, you know, it's halftime and they're thinking about what they've just done and, and it's influencing what they're going to do in the next half of the match. Um, and, uh, and he says, look, just go be a goldfish and i loved it because the reference being of course to goldfish having only like 3 second memories or whatever it is which then when i googled apparently is a load of nonsense that's just a myth but anyway i like the you people. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> people get it so um the 3 minute at uh, these 3 second uh, memory so i thought that's really useful actually cuz how many times do i stand and uh, i get myself so I can overanalyze things. It's a, it's a thing I'm very, very com- um, aware of. And, uh, and so this being a goldfish was lovely. You know, I could analyze this, I could now be working out what I'm gonna do based on what I assume is happening here and going on blah, 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 and take myself down that route. But I have been trying on for size and I have to say it's working, being a goldfish. I've actually now put it in my diary so when I log in each morning, the first entry says, "Be a goldfish," and absolutely seen, love it. Next month I'm being a monkey, um, so I want to be playful next month. Yeah. I want to take things less seriously and be playful. So I'm just trying these on for size, and I'll find lots of different characteristics in different animals that I can try on. So uh so yeah that's the reference but yeah. I'm glad you're liking it. Yeah <laughs> I absolutely absolutely love it. I'm I'm gonna update my calendar now <laughs> I have
0: some animals in there. Yeah. So I think it is just that reminder there at times and and my son does this to me. So he will frequently mm. um you know remind me of uh, the, the fact that I need to play with him particularly with it being some holidays yeah. as well. Yes. yes you know, and, and and seeing his reaction when i'm busy or you know his kind of disappointment you know that's that's yeah. heartbreaking so it's yeah,
1: heartbreaking
0: yeah. it is <laughs> about reminding yourself of why am i doing this um you know and to treasure
1: those moments um
0: so yes yeah, so i absolutely love it that is yeah
1: no well there you are i was given it as a gift it's now a gift to you
0: and yes, to your thank listeners you. thank you yeah definitely <laughs> i hope um i hope people really um you know take that on board as well because i think that is really important we could set up a new network we could be a goldfish network be A goldfish network yes. Love it.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> i'll go and register the domain name now <laughs> Yeah, no, is, it, is there anything else then that you would take away to say that there's kind of important lessons that you've
1: learned over your career that you'd
0: pass yes. on? Yes,
1: there are a few. I was thinking about this um, because um, I thought, well, what are the things that I'm observing? Because uh, there's a lot of juggling, whether it's juggling because you're a parent or whether it's juggling because you're just trying to live a life alongside having a business, etc. Um and there are a few things that I've learned um over my career um and that I guess the first one of those that I'll offer is to challenge the beliefs that you hold. This is very n l p
0: um
1: and this you know the what we believe will govern our behavior and and ultimately our our lives. Um and I this one the, the one that I was just then there's lots of beliefs you can hold the one that I was thinking around, which is quite controversial, um in the sense that there is well I'll give it to you and then I'll explain why it might be controversial. And that is that there seems to be held at the moment, particularly, um, that I'm reading when I'm I'm when I'm looking on social media and all of the various platforms of you know, what are people wrestling with? And I'll frequently hear that my children must always come first. It's a it's a belief that seems to be put out there that that is you, with it's casting stone. Don't anyone ever challenge it because it must be. It's almost like the law. Mm. My children must almost always come first. And I would say no to that. And this is where the, the controversial is, and. In, in the past, would I have been concerned about saying that and would I want to go on social media and broadcast it? Probably no, because I'll be vilified. I'll have all sorts of things. I'll be cancelled in all directions by certain groups. But I can say it to you because it's only you and I sitting listening to this. So, um, <laughs> But I don't think it's healthy. You know, this idea that you're raising children to believe that they always come first in your life and therefore that they could see this that that's the implication in other people's lives
0: mm-hmm.
1: and actually there are occasions when I've known that in my career I've had to put my work my business ahead of my son mm-hmm. and and I've I've accepted that I've had to do that and I've, there's been loads of ways I've had to talk to myself but I did accept it um and that so what there are what I had to do, I guess, is learn what are the critical things that I would not miss or would not deny him because it's part of his good development and I need to be there and it's good for us, um, the play, you know, all of the stuff that we're doing there. Um, but if it meant that I missed one sports day or one event that was going on, that then that was just life for me
0: yeah yeah Um, that's a yeah really interesting point there as well and I think you know you you mentioned about like the kind of cancel culture um and interestingly again the the, um, festival of work that um Michelle and I went to in London Catherine Ryan was talking about the cancel culture you know and how she'd been pretty much you know scrapped from tv because of uh, things that she'd said and it's actually you know let's remove the judgment Um, yes you know so you're absolutely right there are times when we need to um sacrifice one thing for another Um, yeah and that whether that's yeah you're right yeah and, and saying that for everything there is a price so yes. there are going to have to be some sacrifices somewhere along the way. Um, mm-hmm. you
1: know, yeah. And accepting that and and as as good loving parents, we're we're never going to be willingly doing things knowing it's causing harm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are times when you know children do need that lesson as well, that they aren't always the priority, um, when they just happen to want to do something. And um so that's that's one thing that I learned and I'm now observing it playing out and I'm, I'm just observing people beating themselves up unnecessarily and f- feeling sad that they, they can't find it within themselves to challenge that as a as a common belief that seems to be some in some people's minds that's what it is when you're a parent um and you should stick with um so the the other one i would think is to be as creative about your parenting as you are about your business um why do i say that's probably connected to the first one that if you hold this belief your children must always come first then it's it can be quite restrictive in what you see you do and that then you can also add on that, layer it with some more guilt-ridden stuff, which is only I can be a good parent to my son or my daughter or whatever. And so I have to do that so we can keep lay- um, adding these additional layers to yeah. uh, to what it is that we we feel is about being a parent at the same time as trying to build a business that is really important for the family as well, because it's an income generator and provides the life that we're all going to have. So I would recommend people to really think creatively about parenting. You know, history tells us that um, it takes a village to raise a a child. And yet I think we've lost that idea that we seem to think it's only me and, Possibly my partner also plays part of that. But if we're really yeah. honest, sometimes we think it's just us, just us personally, individually. Um, and I, I know, I mentioned her earlier, um, that the au pair, there's, well, one of the au pairs I mentioned because she'd given me the book. But au pairs were a lifesaver for me um, when I was um, a single parent and r- trying to run my business because there was only so much I could do in calling upon family to do that. My mum my would get so too tired with it because she was of an age where it was just too exhausting for her. Um, and uh, so I, it, I wasn't able to rely on that for the emergency stuff, You know those things that fill you with dread when your meeting goes on and you've got to get to the school gate and you've got to do those things. So I, I had to think creatively and, and I had to go for something that I wasn't sure about, which was an au pair, because I couldn't afford a nanny. Um, and so I looked into it and I had a series of au pairs over Lewis's childhood. And it was fabulous. It meant I always had an adult around, that if I couldn't get to the gate on time or if I was having to go away and sleep stay over for business, then they were always there, there was always someone, and I could schedule it, etc. But also the payback for both Lewis and I, and and Lewis in particular, I think, was that we had someone from a different culture in the house.
0: Mm -hmm. We've
1: had a Hungarian, we we had someone from um, Istanbul, we had a a German girl, a French girl. Um, And in each case, we were learning about a different culture, and he was learning from a very young age. And I think it's been a huge contributor to the fact that he, li- he li- lives and works a very international life. He is not phased at all by being in the company from people from different um, origins, from different cultures, etc. Way more comfortable than I am. Um, the to be able to just strike up conversations with anyone from you know whatever language they're speaking, it's it's fabulous. So the paybacks are there is what I'm trying to say is, you know, think creatively about your parenting, that it doesn't have to always be you would be a gift. um, And I hope can help. And then the final one comes back to the diary again a bit, which is why I've got be a goldfish in It is that a wonderful consultant that I was working with a a coach that was working uh, with me. um, And I think I may have lost you again. Um no oh, no nope, nope, okay. you're there. <laughs> um, so he was working with me and I was saying how do we manage and balance things and and you know I just feel like I'm pulled pour, in all different directions and he was saying to to see my diary as my life. And if I were to put an entry in for everything I do each day into my diary that would be a reflection of my life. And is that the life I want? Mm. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting um, concept. So I tried it for a little while because I'm always up for an experiment of these things to see if they work. Um, And what I actually did is I colour coded the priorities for me. So well-being, family, time with Lewis outside school, whatever it was. So whatever it was that I wanted to make sure I was doing in life, alongside, obviously, my business and, and, and family, and I colour-coded it and then entered it into my diary as a block of time, because I'm, I'm very visual. Um, so uh, rather than have to read my diary to see what I was doing, I can just now look, and I still do it to this day, I colour-code. I can look at my diary for a week, a month, whatever, and I can just see how is it balanced. So if it's, if it's starting to get fully balanced towards work, for example, that is glaringly obvious on my diary. Now I don't, I no longer, I only did it as an exercise. I don't literally record every two minutes I'm spending if my, my life, but I'll just do blocks, you know, big chunks of time and it's very revealing. So uh, it's a tool I offer out there, that if you're wrestling and thinking, I'm not spending my time living the life I want to live, try your diary. Um, Yeah, a
0: a huge thank you to you for this, Dom, because this Mm -hmm. is one of the gifts you gave me when we first (laughs) met. And it's been so, so revealing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, as well we had a conversation about volunteering and how much i wanted to kind of do more of that mm-hmm. but actually you know it comes hand in hand with being successful and it's like which do you it do first because <laughs> you can't pour from an empty cup so um yeah. yeah it's being able to see what actually is is giving me um you know the the best chance in my business and also how how much time i spending with family and and that color coding i just found mm-hmm. it's just amazing yeah i still use Good. that so,
1: Good,, well, I'm pleased it works for you. it's it's it, because it's not just a way of of drawing your attention when there's an imbalance, but it's also a nice way of reaffirming when you've got the balance because you look across it and you could just say, "Yeah, actually, that's not bad. <laughs> it's it, I could tweak a little bit here or wherever um or when it's it's seriously skewed in one way, then it's very obvious from your diary but uh so they were things that have helped me to wrestle with some of the the sort of mental and emotional challenges of being a, an entrepreneur and and wanting to have a life alongside it really
0: yeah and
1: then,
0: yeah thank you so much for those because they they're really useful uh, life lessons mm. and just finally I mean yes. we could literally talk all day I know you <laughs> and <fine>. I can
1: <laughs> this is why we have to be really ruthless with our time when we're together <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> just a final um book recommendation because we always try to like to give listeners yes. um, you know some recommendations of new books
1: what would be yours well the one that I've really I really love at the moment um because I'm not one to stick with one. Um, I'm always wanted to, to, to explore others. But um, but it's there's a guy called Sir Ken Robinson, who people that are in the education world may have heard of him and others will have heard, um, who is an educationist or was an educationist. Sadly, he died um, during Covid. Um, Uh, and his daughter has now taken on his mantle um, in this field. But he's a real visionary. Um, This guy is a guy that wants to turn the whole education system on its head. So as a parent, I was fascinated by this because there were many times when I felt that, you know, my, my son wasn't really being treated as an individual and his uniqueness. And it was, I became more and more aware of how things were straightjacketed within the education world and also the the parallels with with work and and how we do things but he's all about creativity innovation um definitely not the norm um coming back to that earlier question you know he is about thriving because we don't accept the norm um and that individualism and so interestingly his tedx which i should have checked but i i've got i guess it's got to be at least 15 could be twenty years old now, is the most watched TEDx at uh, TED, um, uh, not TEDx. It's TED, not um, Ted, it? yeah. TED talk um, ever. So that gives you a bit of a clue wow. of people will switch into him um, for all sorts of inspiration. Anyway, he brought out a book which I loved the um, the essence of it for somebody who's trying to decide how how do they spend their time most fullf- in a most fulfilling way? Mm-hmm. Um, and he coined the, and he used the, the phrase that we coined, which is um, being in your element. Yeah. So when we talk about someone being in their element, it's something that we'd all love to be really, mm-hmm. um, if we're in our element. And he, he breaks that down to say, what does he mean by your element? And, he, and I love this because it's simple. And I love simple things that you can tackle. Um, So he simply said, being in your element is doing what you love, which you'd expect, and that you are good at. And that's the bit that I think makes the difference. Mm -hmm. So he said, it's no good doing something that you love, but you're rubbish at. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, you know, you've either got to go and equip yourself to be good at it um to be in your element or if you decide well actually I really love doing it and I don't care that I'm not in my element but I just love doing it fine that's great but if you're in search of being in your element it's not for you you've at that point so you'd need to develop yourself to get to the element um similarly you could be really good at something and this is where I you know have been exploring myself recently, you can be really good at something, but it's not what you love or you've fallen out of love with it and then you're not in your element again. Mm. And I think that, that to me was just such a powerful way of thinking um, about stuff um, that really helps you ensure that you are f- fulfilling what you want to be doing. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's I would I would say the element by Sir Ken Robinson is one that is a very useful tool.
0: Absolutely, it sounds great. I've written that down, so that's definitely uh, one for me to read. Um, yeah, thank you so so much for your time today, Dawn. Oh, really you're really more than welcome.
1: Yeah. All right. It's, well, it's been great fun. Thank you very much, and for being such a such a great interviewer. It hasn't <laughs> felt like an interview. It's felt more like good. a great conversation. Good, good. All right. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks so, so much then. Take care. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We rely heavily on word of mouth. So if you found value in this episode, please hit subscribe and share it with family and friends. If you'd like to find out a bit more about us, you can find us on our Facebook group, Parent Entrepreneurs Club, or alternatively on Instagram, parentrepreneurs underscore club we hope you have a great week and we look forward to talking to you next time